but for today, we have uh, the book of Ruth, uh, the first of four messages. We're going to be hearing about God's faithfulness to Naomi. And what I'm going to do is it's, about, it's a long passage, so I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to reread it and sort of stop and make some observations as we reread it, if that's all right. Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? 
So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This story opens, there's kind of three movements here, and we'll kind of look through these as we, as we go through the chapter again. But this story opens with emptiness. And then the emptiness just compounds. Emptiness upon emptiness. In the very first sentence, in the days when the judges ruled. When did the judges rule? So if you have a, if you have a Bible, um, you know, a paper Bible. So the book of Ruth is actually a really short book. It's like literally three pages in my Bible. And if you turn to the page immediately before it, you have the book of Judges. The book of Judges, it's a long book. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's full of all these stories that, you know, I feel like were written for junior high boys. Um, when I was a camp counselor, I really liked the book of Judges because you could tell just like super gross stories. And it was from the Bible. And, they, you know, parents couldn't do anything about it. You're like, it's in the Bible, sorry. So the book of Judges, is a, it, it's a great book. And I would encourage you as we're going through the book of Ruth to read it. But the time of the judges, when the judges rules, when the story of Ruth is set, was a time back before the kings of Israel ruled, but after Israel came up out of the land of Egypt. So remember, Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago. Our calendar is based roughly around when he was born. So 2019, roughly 2019 years ago, Jesus was born. About a thousand years before that was the first and greatest king of Israel, King David. So David lived 3,000 years ago, about 1,000 years before Christ or BC. The timeline on this is a little bit debated, but a few hundred years before that, Israel came out of the land of Egypt. And we spent this summer a lot of time talking about that, right? About how Israel came out of Egypt. They met with God at Mount Sinai. God adopted them there as his people and promised to work in and through them. Then eventually Israel went into the land. I say eventually because there's this whole other story and we've talked about that, but not today. We don't have time. Eventually, Israel goes into the land. But when they go into the land, they don't have a king right away. They don't have a centralized government right away. They were sort of an you know, independent collection of clans and tribes, and they just kind of did their own thing. And that story, that time, is really given throughout the book of Judges. The refrain throughout the book of Judges is that there was no king of Israel in those days. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. The time of the judges that, Ruth, that the book of Ruth is set in, the time of the judges was a time of lawlessness and sinfulness. You can flip just a couple pages before. You can read the last few chapters of Judges, and you can see how depraved and how wicked the nation was at this time. I would encourage you this week, go through, read those chapters, see the background of this. But whoever wrote the book of Ruth, put that right up front as a reminder. These were during the wicked days, the sinful days, the lawless days. From the get-go, this story begins with emptiness, and then the emptiness just keeps getting worse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A famine is when it doesn't rain like it's supposed to. 
And the crops that the people were dependent on to live didn't come up like they were supposed to. And there wasn't enough food to eat in the land. Times were tough. People starved. People died. There was a famine in the land. So not only was it the time of the judges, this time of sin and lawlessness, this famine shows up in the land of Israel. We don't know how widespread the famine is, but it certainly affected this little area where they were. There was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So not only is this a time of sinfulness and lawlessness, not only is it a time of famine, but this family is driven from their homeland, this, this sacred land that God has given them. They feel forced to abandon it, abandon it. And the Bible never really condemns them for this, and I don't know if we should either. But they're driven from this place in order to go and seek food in this other land, the land of Moab. That's just the first verse of this book. And already we have emptiness upon emptiness upon emptiness. We have a time of lawlessness. We have famine. We have exile. And then we have death. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And I should point out there's a word play uh, with, the, with the name Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, house of food. There wasn't any food here in the house of food. There was emptiness where there was supposed to be fullness. And Bethlehem has some other significance throughout the rest of the book and throughout the rest of the Bible, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. I know there's a discussion question mentioned on that. I would encourage you to think about that as we're going along. But we don't have time to dive into that this morning. But there's not any food in the place where there's supposed to be food. So they go into the country of Moab and remain there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Lawlessness, famine, exile, and then death. The husband, the father of this family, he dies in the land of Moab. But at least Naomi has two sons. Because to be, to be a woman in that day, you know, to be a single woman, an unmarried woman, or a widowed woman, was to experience poverty. So if, there, if there's a woman who, you know, she's widowed, it, it would be good for her to at least have sons who can provide for her. And so that's where she is. She experiences great personal loss, but at least she has these two sons. And they marry foreign women, but at least she has these two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and then both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Put yourselves in Naomi's shoes for a moment. She's forced to leave the land she grew up in, goes with her husband and her two sons. The family she grew up with stays. The friends that she had stay. Her community stays. She goes and spends 10 years in this foreign country because of the famine. Her husband dies. Her sons die. All she's left with is two daughters-in-law. She loses everything. Emptiness upon emptiness, brokenness upon brokenness, lawlessness, famine, exile, death, 
and more death. So Naomi stops and says, you know what? I've heard that they have food back in Israel. I might as well just go back because I don't have anything here. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people to give and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, each of you return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And here we begin to see little bits and hints that the brokenness and emptiness that Naomi had experienced was turning into bitterness. She said, The Lord grant that each of you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? You can hear the sarcasm dripping down from her voice. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Just pure sarcasm here. Naomi says, let's say that I meet a guy this afternoon and we get married and have sex tonight. And on the off chance that I'm not too old to have kids, I get pregnant tonight with twins for you guys. Let's just say that happens. Are you, if that happens, are you two going to wait for them to grow up? Are you two going to not marry for the next 18 years of your life? Is that really what's going to happen here? Bitterness from emptiness. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of God has reached out and struck me. It's taken away everything from me. It's gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then there's this beautiful, beautiful speech that Ruth gives. And we'll get in more into that when we go over Ruth chapter 2 and focus more on the character of Ruth. But she says, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I don't, know what that, I don't know what that journey back to Israel was like. 
this initial confrontation discussion may have been, you know, in the kitchen as, as Naomi's packing up her things. She sees that her daughters-in-law are about to, you know, they're packing up to go with her. And she says, no, 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 you guys need to stay here. You guys need to, you know, just stay in the house of your mothers. You guys need to, you know, stay in your family. There's no need to come with me. Marry somebody here. It's totally okay. You don't have to come with me. But Ruth insists that she's going to come with her. And as they set out on that long journey, as they go down and cross the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, and then they begin that long hike up into the hills where Bethlehem is, as they journey for several days over incredibly tough terrain, what were their conversations like? The Bible doesn't say this clearly. It says Naomi said no more. Maybe, you know, Naomi just didn't try to convince her at all. But I imagine here that Naomi just was silent the entire way back. Ruth tries to make small talk. Like, oh, did you see the goat over there? And Naomi just says no. Doesn't look at her. She's full of bitterness. And I mean, and on one hand, we get it, right? You know, Naomi had experienced more loss than I've experienced than most of you, if not all of you, have experienced. She lost her family and community. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She felt as if the hand of God itself had gone out against her. She was filled with bitterness. So the two of them, Ruth and Naomi, they travel, silently perhaps, awkwardly perhaps, and went on until they came to Bethlehem. They came back to the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Right? They hadn't seen her for 10 years. The last time they saw her, she was a young woman, full of life, full of vitality. She walks into the village and she looks like the Naomi that they had known. But she stooped over, weary, from 10 years of pain, weary from a long, hard journey. Her face is full of more wrinkles than they had known. Her hair has much more gray in it than they remembered. And she comes back in the city and they look at her and they say, is this Naomi? She's alive. Not only is she alive, but she's come back to see us. And Naomi reaches out and she says, don't, don't call me, don't call me Naomi. Because the word Naomi means pleasant. Naomi wasn't pleasant anymore. She says, call me Mara. Call me bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. What a phrase that is. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? There's no response here recorded from the people of the town. No doubt they were excited to have Naomi back, even if they were a bit taken aback by her, by her demeanor. But at the end, we just have a summary sentence. 
So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And then we have possibly my favorite line in the entire book. It's the second sentence of Ruth 1.22. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They came to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. Why does the narrator close that there? Why does the narrator conclude this entire, you know, the first section of this story with just a reminder about what time of year it was? It's kind of weird, right? You know, are they, just, are they just throwing it in there? Just, you know, random fact, by the way, it just happened to be October when they came back. I don't actually know that the barley harvest was in October, but it's, you know, fall and it's, you know, it's that kind of year for us. So, you know, let's just say it was October for them. It just happened. It was October when they came back. Great. Why do, why do we care? What does that matter for anything? Is the narrator just throwing in a random fact? Is the narrator just happened to be, you know, mentioning that it was the time of the barley harvest because the next couple chapters take place in barley fields during the barley harvest? Maybe. Although that's, you know, it's true that the next couple chapters take place there, but, you know, we would have picked that up anyway. Or, is it the narrator reminding you that the famine that this chapter opened with was over? They left the house of bread because there was no bread. But when they returned to Bethlehem, when they returned to the house of bread, there was bread again. There was barley that they could harvest. They could turn it into food. They could survive. Not only could they survive, but they could thrive. And maybe, just maybe, we're supposed to read that and we're supposed to see God's faithfulness in everything that the chapter opens with. Right, the chapter opens with emptiness upon emptiness. There's lawlessness, there's sin, there's famine, there's exile, there's death, there's more death. But when they come back to the land, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. God is at work to undo all of it. God's already done done the exile. They've already come back into the land. God's already undone the famine. They've already, he's already brought bread back to them. It's the beginning of the barley harvest. And as we go through the rest of this book, we are going to see how God is at work to undo the sinfulness and the lawlessness of the days of the judges. We are going to see how God is at work to undo even the death that Naomi experienced. Naomi was full of emptiness. But God, through her emptiness, was faithful. She says that phrase, I went away full, but the Almighty has brought me back empty. Question. Bit of a trick question, but a question. Did God bring her back empty? Wrong answers only. What do we, what do we think? No. no. There's a very real sense in which he did. 
right? She lost all of these things that were precious to her. Everything that she went, everything that she had in the land of Israel before they went into exile, she lost. She lost her family, her community, her husband, her sons. But she came back with Ruth. She didn't come back empty. And Naomi didn't know it. But God would use Ruth in her life to bless her, to finally bring about another son and grandson for Naomi. God would use Ruth to undo even the sin of Israel. But God was at work through it all. Naomi's life reminds us of a choice. Naomi made the wrong choice. Through all of the bitterness that she experienced, we can't begrudge her for experience, experiencing sadness through the brokenness. Right? We, we just can't do it. Of course she felt empty. Of course she felt broken. Of course everything that she had was taken away from her. Who wouldn't be broken and empty in that situation? But she allowed that emptiness to turn into bitterness. She saw her emptiness and focused on her emptiness and blamed God for it instead of trusting that God was at work through it all. We are reminded of how God brings about fullness in the middle of emptiness in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater evil this world has ever seen than the Son of God himself, perfect and sinless, dead on a cross. No greater injustice. But his resurrection from the dead, literally and bodily, is a reminder to us it's a foretaste that God is undoing all of the wickedness and brokenness and emptiness that we have. And that one day, at the end of all things, God will restore everything. He will restore his broken and fallen creation. We just have to trust him. God will bring it about. I've told this, I've told this story before in here. It's a personal story. I think it's worth telling again. About 10 years ago, I was a, uh, I was a college student. I was you know, attending Bible college uh, at, a, at a college down in South Carolina. And about the end of my sophomore year, I was kind of running out of funds and you know, things were going a little haywire anyway. And there, there was a job, there was a company that a lot of people had worked at, you know, at, my, at my church and Christian school. It was an asbestos removal company. And if you know anything about asbestos, we put it in like all of the buildings in like the 70s and 80s before we knew what it did for you. And it's fine if it's just laying there, if it's just like a tile of asbestos, it's okay. It's when it gets broken up, then you know you can breathe it in and it can become cancerous. So like there's a lot of asbestos in schools and it doesn't become an issue until they take the school down and do some construction on it, which they normally do in the summer. And in the summer when they do that, they call in an asbestos abatement team and they, like, you know, put up all the, you know, the sheets and tarps and go in in full hazmat suits. And it's hot work and it's dirty work. But it's always during the summer and it always pays really well. And it, you know, makes a really good summer job. 
And a lot of people from my church and Christian school worked this summer job. And at the end of my sophomore year, where I was running out of college, or running out of money for college, I said, you know, maybe, maybe this is a good job to do. And my youth pastor, you know, the guy who had been my youth pastor because I had graduated, he came to me and he said, hey, they're, they're looking for some other people, this company that he had worked for and that other people had worked for. They're looking for some, for some help. And I was with two of my friends that day. I, I remember the day. It was a Saturday. We were going to some open houses for friends who were a couple years younger than us. Uh, and we were, you know, kind of driving around, and our youth pastor saw us there, and he told us this. And so all three of us called the one guy who we were supposed to call. There were three of us. There were two openings, and I was the guy who called last. I was the guy who called last. So they got, they got in, and I did not. And I was mad. I was, I was, I was not happy, and it was honestly a, a, it was a crisis of faith for me. I remember, I remember the next day, uh, the church I grew up in, we had evening services, and we always had choir at the beginning of it, and I sang in the choir. You know, you'd always come down from the choir. Sometimes you'd go in the back and get a drink of water before you came in and sat down. And I, I went out after, you know, I went into the back, and I got my drink of water, but instead of coming back in to sit down for the service, I went out in my car, and I yelled at God for the entire service. I did not hold anything back. Like, this was, this was not a prayer, oh, God, I'm frustrated right now. No, I, I yelled at God. I swore at God. I was mad. Because in my mind, right, God owed something to me. In my mind, I was the guy who was trying to, you know, I was going to Bible college. I wanted to do, I wanted to do ministry. These other two friends, they were kind of off doing their own thing for a little bit. I think they would even tell you today that they weren't really following God in that period of their life. And I said, how are you going to be faithful to them and provide for their needs, but you're not going to provide for my needs? Why? What's going on? I yelled at God. And I didn't understand why. Why would he do that? As time went on that summer... I wound up dropping out of school just because I didn't have enough money. That fall, I started a full-time job. And looking back over the last 10 years of my life, my life was completely different. It would have been completely different if I had gotten that job and gone back to school. I probably would not be here today. I don't know where I would be. But looking back over the last 10 years of my life, I see how in that moment where I called third instead of first or second, where I didn't get the job that I wanted, where I didn't get the job that I thought God had for me, God was faithful to me anyway. Looking back, I see God's faithfulness through emptiness and brokenness. Now, I wish that I could tell you that if you just trust God, he's going to give you, you know, all kinds of blessing in this life. I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is that in the next life, God is going to put all things right. We can be faithful to God through this entire life and never experience the redemption of our broken stories. That's possible. But our trust as Christians, our hope, is that one day God will restore all things and that we will experience fullness when we trust God, either in this life 
or the next one. So friends, I encourage you to trust God. When things are full of emptiness, when things are broken, when everything that you know and love, all of the things that you care about seem to be snatched from you, when relationships crumble, when the, when the finances aren't where you think they should be, where you look at the bank account and you don't know what's going to happen next, when there's emptiness, we have the choice, as Naomi did, to turn that into bitterness, to blame God for it, or we can trust God through it. And I encourage each one of you to trust God through it. It was the barley harvest when they returned to Bethlehem. God was at work even then to undo all of the bitterness, all of the brokenness, all of the emptiness that Naomi and even the entire nation of Israel felt. God is at work in your life. Trust him. Will you pray with me?